This is Women Speak Cyber, the podcast, with the diversity of ideas critical to solving the complex challenges of securing businesses and people today, we believe all voices need to be heard. Whether you're an aspiring speaker, leader, or wanting to advocate for others, join Louisa P and Louisa V and their special guests who will share tools, tips, and inspirational stories that will help you to speak cybersecurity with confidence and impact. So welcome to the first episode of Women Speak Cyber, the podcast. We are so excited to have everyone join us. We have been talking about doing this for a long time and the day is finally here. I am Louisa Partridge, not to be confused with my co-host, the other Louisa. (laughs) I'll let her introduce herself. Yep. So we both have the same name, but my last name is Vogelenzang. To make things easier, I will be known as LV and Louisa Partridge will be LP. So hopefully that helps to distinguish between the Louisas. So we're joined today by Melissa Wingard. She's a senior commercial technology lawyer. She's got over 15 years experience and she's been assisting companies across the APAC region with software, cybersecurity and technology challenges. She was also part of our very first pilot project as Women Speak Cyber. It was a project we founded with the Australian Women's Insecurity Network and it was called Project Friedman. And LP, we named the project after somebody quite special. Yeah, we wanted to find somebody who had been, you know, amazing in their career. And Elizabeth Friedman was an American cryptologist and codebreaker who on a little bit of Googling, I discovered helped crack the code of spies during World War II. But she's not someone that many people know much about because she just wasn't promoted in the industry or you know, praised for what she did. So we wanted a role model that did amazing things, but we wanted to then give our participants the chance to really promote themselves in the industry and build a brand for themselves. Yeah. So in 2019, we took nine women through a public speaking coaching program with uh, amazing public speaking coach, Emily Edgeley. And all nine of those women presented at the Australian Cybersecurity Conference, CyberCon, in 2019. And that, for all of them, was their very first cybersecurity conference presentation. So from there, we've grown Women Speak Cyber into a social enterprise. And last year, we were able to announce we had sponsorship from the Australian Signals Directorate, who've been absolutely amazing. And it's allowed us to extend our program to 20 women this year to create this podcast, which we're really excited to be working with Darcy from Pro Podcast Production on this. And we'll also be building a database of women speakers in cybersecurity to make sure that conference organizers can fill those speaker slots with both both men and women. Our ultimate goal is gender parity at those conferences. So we've got Melissa Wingard joining us today. Now, I just have to clarify, she is a lawyer, but she's not your lawyer. So Melissa, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Super Actually, happy. I was saying to LV, when we were looking for people to participate in Project Freeman, and you were one of the nine in our first round, 
you just ticked all the boxes. We were looking for someone who had a bit of spunk, who had some really cool things to say, who did a bit of a different role in cyber and you were just tick, tick, tick. And yeah, I've got to say, I loved your uh, presentation when you finally stood up on that stage at Acer in the CyberCon in November, which was yeah. two years ago now. And wow. Yeah, it was, I mean, I was so very lucky to be one of the first nine that you selected. So, and I must admit, as as a lawyer in the cybersecurity space, I was thinking, they're never going to pick me. What am I going to bring to this? Like, I can't code. <laughs> I, can't, I can't hack. I can't red team. I can't blue team. Like, I wasn't sure that I had anything that was of, you know, interest. So I was very happy to be selected. Well, Absolutely, you did have things of interest to say. And it was, you know, something that LP and I are really passionate about is is diversity in cybersecurity. And, you know, that's one of the key reasons why we started Women Speak Cyber, because we saw this gap in diversity and specifically in gender in cybersecurity conferences where people were, were speaking at conferences. And LP, I think this was probably, what, five years ago in Brisbane, and we were sort of chatting about the fact that there was all these, as they were called on social media, manals happening. Um, and yeah, so we decided that you know, there were probably three three things that we thought could be driving the lack of diversity in cybersecurity speakers. And we thought, okay, well, one of them might be the percentage of women in cybersecurity. Back then, it was about 10%. I think we've lifted it to about 25 now, but that was clearly a reason. LP, there are another couple of reasons as well that we thought that people weren't presenting or we had that lack of gender diversity in these conferences. Yeah, and I remember so clearly having that conversation when you were here in Brisbane and I know you're rushing out the door to fly back to Melbourne and we were kind of like, we've got to do something about this and we weren't sure what we were going to do. But, yeah, five years later we've got there. I think some of the other reasons that we thought of was just that pure confidence. Did the women in the industry have that confidence? And also as someone who's organised events before, were event people looking, actually looking for new faces and new people? Or as we suspected, were they just going after the same people every single time? And I think it was kind of a combination of all three. So that's why we decided to, you know, to when we finally sat down again and talked about it, pull together this idea of Women Speak Cyber. And I remember when we created our Twitter handle and we had all these women like the emoticons with the ladies raising their hand. We were so excited that we were finally doing something. But, yeah, I think it was really honestly a a combination of all three. And when we put out the first applications for Project Freeman, confidence really came back as, you know, that I think one of the the consistencies across all the women that, that applied is just that lack of confidence and knowing that they had something important to say that people would want to hear. So, Melissa, maybe we can kind of step back to your role in cybersecurity, like how you how you got into the industry and then like what led you to apply for Project Friedman? And just for those that may not have heard of Project Friedman, this is a public speaking scholarship for women in cybersecurity in Australia for women who have never spoken at a cybersecurity conference before. And so, yeah, Melissa, I'd love to hear more kind of about your your journey in cybersecurity and what made you apply for Project Friedman? Oh, so many good questions, LV. <laughs> I guess to answer the first bit, how did I end up in, in cybersecurity? So obviously I 
I'm a lawyer. I now work as special counsel for a, an intellectual property firm called Phillips on One Fitzpatrick Lawyers. We specialize in technology and intellectual property and, and, and I specifically look at privacy, cybersecurity and all of those other issues when it comes to cyber law. And the way I actually landed in it was a few years ago. Gosh, a few years ago now. I had the pleasure of being head of legal Asia Pacific for a, the cybersecurity division of a defense contractor. And one of the things I realized when I got into the role was that it's, it's such an interesting but complicated space. And in order to be able to advise properly, I really needed to understand it. And from that, you know, first course, those first training sessions with my colleagues, I was hooked. So I've since from then done a master's of cybersecurity operations and really just immersed myself in, in cybersecurity and cyber law in particular. And look, I'm sure we've all been there at times, but I, I did have a previous life where I was quite confident about public speaking. I was horribly shy as a child. <laughs> And horribly shy as a teenager, worked out when I got into law that I needed to be able to speak and that I had to be able to do public speaking. And there's a real, you know, it's, it's actually a great thing to be able to do. It's a real positive to be able to step up and, and speak publicly. And I even had a, I get a previous life where I, I ran for local government. So I had spoken publicly, but I'd never spoken at a cybersecurity conference and. I went through a phase where, particularly when I was learning cybersecurity, I thought, gosh, how do I find my place in this world? How do I, how do I find a footing in here? It's one thing to talk about. Well, actually it wasn't, I was going to say, it's one thing to talk about yourself, try and sell yourself for local government, but it's another thing to stand up and actually put, you know, really be considered a subject matter expert and really know your stuff. And, and I guess, I'm sure we've all been through there. Like I went through a period where I was thought I was very confident and then a whole bunch of things in life completely knocked me for six, like absolutely knocked me for six. Work, things happened, life happened, <laughs> you know. And when I was applying for Project Freeman, I was probably at one of my lowest points in terms of having any kind of confidence to do these things because I just thought everything had knocked me around so much and I was I was scared. I was actually really scared to to put myself out there again. I was scared to try in a space that I didn't feel like I had much to say in. And and I, I'm a big believer in that, like, public speaking is just another skill you can learn. And as mm. soon as I saw what you're offer- offering, I thought that's that's what I need. I need I need a, a fabulous group of women around me, but I also need the training and I need I need the training and the structure. So, yeah, I was really hoping to get my mojo back. I'd completely lost my mojo <laughs> before Project Friedman. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> And I'm sure like so many people can relate to that story of lacking confidence in public speaking. I don't think anybody's born to be a public speaker. Like genuinely, I think it is, it does have to be a learned skill. Of course, we have different degrees of confidence going into it. But yeah, I think, you know, Melissa, as for, for me, as someone, I've been in cybersecurity for nearly two decades and really I only got, you know, kind of the confidence to speak publicly about four or five years ago, which seems crazy. But I think one of the big challenges I faced was I was also shy as a child and as a teenager. And ultimately, I just had so few role models as a woman in cybersecurity. And it, and it, I didn't realize that that actually impacted my confidence because I kind of couldn't see what I could be. So that was always a challenge. And then I guess, you know, nine times out, out of 10, I was the only woman in a room. And what I found even in a meeting setting, I would feel, look, and kind of in my mind be different to everybody else in that room. And so kind of the sound of my voice even stood out too much for me. And, and I, and I would just kind of 
not say anything. And that actually started to feed into my lack of confidence. So I think there was just this point. And it also came at a time when I was, you know, Louisa and I were chatting about this challenge. I said to Louisa, mm. I suffer from this. I think, you know, if I need help, I'm sure there are other people out there that need help. So yeah, I, I think, you know, absolutely. When you applied for Project Friedman, you know, it, it stood out that you had previously had some public speaking experience, had some confidence, but then you were stepping into this world where, you know, and those other things that you mentioned that had gone on in your life that meant that you weren't at a point that you felt confident then in that moment to talk about cybersecurity. So yeah, I think there's more than two of us out there, that's for sure. And we, and we definitely learned that through Project Friedman. And I think I was going to say, I think one of the other things that I saw too, and I think you've mentioned it before, is you write all these manuals, like every time you go to a conference, you're there with a whole world of men. And I think one of the things that did trigger me to try and to try and get involved in, in speaking for cybersecurity as well was when I went to I went to Black Hat Asia in 2019. And I was just amazed that by and large the speakers were all men. And I was trying to encourage the other and I had women encouraging me to speak and the other women there I was trying to encourage them to speak. And I think we all suffered from the same, yeah, the same nervousness um, and the same feeling of not not feeling like we belonged. Yep, definitely agree with that. LP, have you got any kind of thoughts on your own public speaking journey? Yeah, look, I mean, I have spent years, I had spent years writing presentations for people constantly, but never actually presenting myself. And sometimes, you know, when someone would pull out last minute, I was thinking, well, I know the content, I wrote it, maybe I should do it. And I remember, Louisa, you and I, as part of our work upskilling, were sent on a NIDA course and we did a couple of days of training and it reminded me, I've never been nervous of presenting, but I know it's a skill that I have to work on and that I have to train and constantly, I guess, keep my skills updated. And, you know, last week I was reminded of this, actually two weeks ago, we were in Townsville and I got a call from our comms lead saying, I need you to do radio, a radio interview in about 15 minutes time. And I was like, okay, cool. That's great. But I was in Townsville. It was probably like 35 degrees and 6,000% humidity. We're at a lunch I had to go outside and sit on the main street with the laptop that I couldn't see because it was so bright. I was almost blinded. And these questions just came out of nowhere and I just wasn't prepared enough. I hadn't thought through the content. I didn't hit the points as well as I wanted to hit. And it reminded me that I needed to, for my job, you know, these things happen quite a bit. So I need to sit down, think through my content, what are my, you know, what are my key takeaways that I want people to walk away with and just practice and and have them on hand so that if I do get asked questions in the future and get thrown in these things, that I'm ready and I'm prepared. My boss is incredible. She does it like that. You know, she doesn't have to think. And I know that's a skill that she's worked on to get to that point. And now it's so natural and easy for her. She can stand up in front of media and, and do it. And that's kind of the level that I want to get to, but it's going to take practice, consistency, and plenty more opportunities where you're willing to sort of put yourself out there and maybe not get it perfect, but know that you're you're building on those skills each time. So, yeah. And look, I remember you, LV, the first few times that you presented, maybe because I know you better than others, I could see the nervousness, but, you know, only 
what, last year or the year before, you got up and, and did national television. And that was, I know, a huge thing for you. How how was that? <laughs> I was petrified. <laughs> um, and I think the honest truth, LP, was I was absolutely petrified doing a live TV recording. It was definitely one of the hardest things I've done. However, I think had I been asked to do that five years ago, I would have just simply said no. So definitely there've been baby steps that have got me to that point where I could say yes. And that's been part of, you know, what we were talking about, that constantly practicing. So as frequently as possible, putting yourself out there, even if it's just speaking in a meeting, you know, it's just get used to the sound of your own voice. And I think undertake training and many other things that we, we've we definitely discovered through Project Freeman in terms of having a great support network. But I'd love to find out from Melissa kind of how, like what are the rituals that you maybe have around public speaking that, you know, gets you in the zone or has it, what, what are the things that have made it easier for you over time as you've kind of got your mojo back because we definitely think you have mojo. <laughs> well, it's all thanks to Project Friedman. Come on. I mean, without Project Friedman, I'd probably be still be there trying to figure out how the heck do I get a speaking spot somewhere? <laughs> I have to say, I am, I am still, and I, I don't know what, what you ladies think about this and hopefully saying ladies is acceptable. I mean, I still work very hard to overcome the I'm worried what people will think of me. And I don't know if that's a gendered mm-hmm. thing or if that's just an individual thing because I you know, was so shy. So I do spend, and I am, I'm a complete barrel of nervous, anxious energy every single time before I speak. And I've, since Project Freeman, I've done a lot of public speaking. And so a part of that is actually just acknowledging that I'm going to be a barrel of anxiety, (laughs) a bundle of nerves, and just actually planning my day around that anxiety in a weird way. So it's like, if I know I've got a midday talk, I'll spend the morning reading through my notes. I'll try to avoid, I'll try to avoid too many other brain taxing things. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And just acknowledging that I am going to be nervous and just sort of embracing that nervousness to then help me drive the energy that I need to get through that that talk and kind of harnessing that energy, even though it is the nervous energy and really using that to to speak loudly and to put my voice out there and to, and as you can see, gesture wildly. I mean, (laughs) there are hands going everywhere. (laughs) We're on a podcast. My hands are everywhere. Um, So I've sort of just acknowledged that that's who I am and that there's nothing wrong with me being like that. And then I've thought long and hard about so what? There might be 90% of the audience might enjoy what I say, 5% might not, and the other 5% may well not think that highly of me, but do I really care? (laughs) So, I mean, I do, but then I tell myself I don't. So, and I've tried all the other things. I've tried the power poses. Like I think, you know, we've spoken about, but I found the best way for me is actually just to acknowledge that I am a barrel of nervous energy and try to harness it. That's (laughs) yeah. I don't know. What what are your tips? What do you, what do you guys do? I was going to say, and I'm sure LP will want to jump in on that, but I think that's a really positive way of looking at it because quite often we think nerves are negative. You know, we're, we're, it's almost like we're conditioned to believe that, you know, you get nervous, that's a bad thing. But one of the things I was once told, which really helped me is if you, if you're nervous, it means you care. It means mm. you, you 
giver about <laughs> about your performance, about your message and making an impact on people. And there is nothing bad about that. But I think it's where those nerves creep into something that, and, and I think, Melissa, I'm talking to my experience, but I don't know if, if yours has been the same, but nerves physically impact my body. Like I shake, my voice shakes a bit, you know, I might go red and, and there are many people that have physical symptoms. So I think it's, it's hard when you have those, definitely, because they're hard to disguise. But then it, it's kind of, as you've done, it's flipping that into a positive and saying, this is going to happen. I'm cool with that. I'm going to put that nervous energy into the way I move my arms or, or, you know, how I project my voice. And I think the other thing, the other, the other thing we learned from one of our coaches on Project Freeman, Emily Edgley was focusing on the audience. Like, what do you want them to take away? So it almost removes the focus on yourself and you're thinking, okay, what is the message? What is the action I want the audience to take after this talk? And I found that's been a really helpful tip because it flips the focus away from yourself. I think that was one of the best things too that Emily had pointed out was that, you know, if you're there thinking about the audience, you're sort of not worrying about yourself and what you're thinking about, what are they going to take away from it? But I was going to say to the bit about the anxiety, what it does to your body, I I know that I go red, my chest goes red, my neck goes red when I'm talking. So I've actually just taken to wearing high-necked shirts when I do public speaking. Only <laughs> because I know it's going to happen. So I'm just like, okay, just acknowledge it's going to happen. And then I don't worry if I'm covered, like, you know, up to my chin. <laughs> and I know that I... See, I would never have known that yeah. having watched you present. No, Amazing. I will always wear generally high neck because I do. I start to go red and then I can... When I feel it coming, I try to take a couple of deep breaths, grab a glass of water. I like having the clicker in my hand because the clicker allows me to to get some of that shaking. It doesn't look like you're shaking because mm. you've got the clicker. <laughs> so I've sort of – and I, it was quite a few things that I picked up from um, – do you remember before – before the ASA conference and we just did those rehearsals and you go and you filmed mm-hmm. them all. And I think Emily filmed them all. And when I was watching that back, I was like, Oh, I need to figure out. Cause now I feel really self-conscious. I need to figure out my way of, of managing that. Cause I, yeah, the, <laughs> the actual physical things that go on with that, that nervousness can be a little distracting, but I think you're right. Flipping it to, well, what is the audience going to take away from this? And also just for me having those little things, which mean no one's seeing me go beetroot red. <laughs> Yep. I can relate to that because I, my heart jumps out of my chest. And if I wear a lanyard, you can see it beating. <laughs> so I actually <laughs> don't wear one. <laughs> Cause like that is the last thing I need is, um, yeah, the, the very obvious display of my nerves <laughs> conveyed through a, yep. a lanyard. So yeah, uh, uh, to your point, Melissa, just, you know, if there's a distraction or something that draws attention, to that and it and it makes you self-conscious just get rid of it if you can yeah it definitely helps too (laughs) I actually have found one of the most helpful things about you know as much as the pandemic's been you know clearly a very negative thing in a lot of ways I think from a public speaking perspective I've actually found it quite positive because I can hide away in my home environment and you know basically make sure that a lot of those things are eliminated because it's it's kind of just your face on the screen. And I, I found it really positive. I think 
you know, we were chatting about earlier, I did that live TV. That was from home. I think if I had gone into the studio and been interviewed, that would have been a very Mm. different experience Mm. for me. And I think that would have been really quite challenging. It's not to say it couldn't be done, but I think, I think doing it from home definitely really helped me. So I think it's a good opportunity, good time to get involved in, in virtual events if you're thinking about speaking for the first time, because it can be a, a more comfortable environment. I don't know how you found that, Melissa and uh, LP, whether you've done some speaking from home, if that's been positive or negative. I mean, I, I kind of missed about 10 months of the COVID experience because I was not working and I was on leave at the time. And so when I started back at work, everyone was so used to, I'd never use Zoom. I'd never use Teams. You know, I'd use Cisco WebEx, but it was a whole new learning experience for me in terms of just everything operating in a virtual environment. So I found it a bit weird at first, but I've actually done quite a few presentations since, and I've got actually one this week with FST, which is virtual. So I tend to prefer in-person just because I think I feed off the audience. You know, a lot of people say it's easier to present to a room full of strangers. I actually like to see some friendly faces and to be able to connect and and point people out, make a joke. I am also kind of awkward with my hands. And when Louis and I did the the NIDA course. And again, I'm gesturing on a podcast with hands, but I did all these really weird hand gestures all the time. And so I actually love a lectern that I can kind of hold on to and it grounds me and cements me. That's my preference. I know Emily did a lot of sort of that power posing when she was, was taking the last Project Friedman group through. And I actually work with someone who went through the course and she loves it. It gives her that that stance and that control. And I've seen her present a few times in her power pose. But yeah, I, I guess whatever works, but I love an audience that I can feed off. I also, I kind of watch to see, are they picking up their phone? Am I hitting the right points? And interestingly, when I presented, we launched my kind of work a couple of weeks ago. And one of the guys actually walked around behind and just checked what everyone was looking at on their phone. And they were actually all looking at our content, which was great. Because here I am thinking, are they checking their emails? Are they texting their family to say, won't be too long if this girl stops talking, we'll be home soon. But what was wonderful was that they were actually all looking at the content that we were talking about, our website. We'd actually launched a digital ecosystem and they'd looked at that. So that was actually really nice to hear uh, after the fact uh, because it meant that they were actually really engaged with what we were saying, which was good. But uh, look, I know it's been a common theme across all of our Project Friedman participants, that that confidence, how they stand, how they present, what they wear, even, you know, you talked about it, Melissa, but what do they wear? Do they feel more comfortable in a pantsuit, in a dress? So I guess what I loved was that as part of Project Friedman, we formed almost this little network of support, almost like a virtual support group. And what Louisa and I have absolutely loved is that ongoing support that you have provided for each other. Do you think that's helped you all continue on your presenting journey? I think, yeah, I, I would agree. I think it really has. And I do think this year we we spent, as you well know, because we all spent a lot of time together in 2019, we spent a lot of time mm-hmm. in 2019 learning from Emily and learning from you both about how to stand up on a stage, how to be in front of, you know, a room full of 
50 people, 500 people, 1,000 people if we needed to be. And it was great to always have that support around us as well. And then as we all pivoted into 2020, I think one of the things that was really great was we're all still trying to make use of the training, but we had this support network and, you know, our chat groups to say, okay, well, hang on. I've got to somehow figure out how I take what I learned to do in person and somehow replicate that on on a screen. And it is each of us take it from a, I think, from a different perspective. So I'm like you, LP. I, I kind of, I won't say I hate them, but I do find Zooms very challenging because it takes so much energy for me to to sound excited and to keep people interesting for an hour because we've all sat through that Zoom call that's just somebody in a monotone voice talking off a screen. Like, <laughs> it's like I spent a lot of effort trying not to yeah. be like that. But by the time I've spoken for an hour, I answered a whole bunch of questions and then I find it really, really exhausting. But I think I've taken a lot of hints off our little chat group that we've got going. And I think, oh, one of, someone was asking about, you know, I would normally get people to stand up. How do I, how do I mm. take that into an, a virtual environment? And I think there was some great suggestions. Like the, the first cohort of Project Framework, they're such an amazing group of people and they're so willing to share their time. And I think that's one of the, one of the nicest things is knowing no matter what I put in that chat group, it could be like the simplest question. You're right. Do I wear pants to this or should I put like, what, is, what about this shirt? What about that? Shirt? Like it could be any of those kind of questions. And, you know, should I go Zoom? Should I try and use a poll? Should I? There's all these ideas that come back through. And I think that's been such a lovely a lovely thing to have for us. It's been really wonderful. And also to have your knowledge and expertise kind of, dare I say it, on tap. <laughs> it's, <laughs> you know, it's really useful too to say, well, hang on, you guys have been there. What's worked for you? How do I, how do I take all the stuff I learned in 2019, which, you know, at times was exhausting and overwhelming and, and how do I keep going with it? And it's great to have a group of people who really do drive you and support you and say, you know, call for papers is coming up, quick sign up for it. And, you know, by the way, did you see this? And I mean, sometimes I get a bit exhausted by all those messages. <laughs> There's so much going on. <laughs> These people are so amazing. <laughs> yeah. And what I think I loved too is it's it's given the confidence, not just in the area of public speaking, but the number of you that change jobs as a result of Project Friedman, either the exposure that you got and all of a sudden people knew who you were, but that confidence to go, this is not the job that I want to be in, or this is not the environment that's great for me. And you've all been able to go out. Well, I, I think there's at least five that have changed jobs. And I think that's been also a lovely kind of byproduct that we weren't expecting either. It's given that confidence across multiple areas of life, not just in the public speaking. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think you're right. I think you'll find if you ask everyone sort of across the board, what changes have they made in the last year? And I'll guarantee you that it won't just be the public speaking, like it's going to slightly off topic, but I started doing CrossFit and now I'm the least athletic person you'll ever come across. <laughs> I am not. <laughs> and, but I was like, well, if I can stand up on a stage, I'm sure I could lift a barbell. And so I just completed the CrossFit open, which was terrible. I didn't do very well at all, but I still got up there wow. every week, did the workout every week, finished last every week. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but, good on you. That's awesome. That's what I mean. You just get these little bursts of confidence where you think, oh, well, I've overcome something that I thought was terrifying and I've done that and I can keep doing it. And I've been doing it and people seem to think I'm doing quite well at it. So what else can I try? And I do think that's what drives a lot of yeah. that. You know, we'll, we'll join. I think there's a few that are doing like other sort of volunteer work and changing jobs and, and just having that confidence in themselves to believe in themselves, which I think is, it's very exciting to see. 
Yeah. And I, I think because quite often, and I know I'm guilty of this, I, I focus on the, the negative side of public speaking, even though I've seen so much positivity come out of it. But I think that's my natural feeling towards public speaking. But I do often forget what an amazing platform it is. And I have to remind myself, and you, you just described in so many ways why it is because it's not just about public speaking it's it's about advancing your career it's about having having the confidence in other other parts of your life and it's one of those things that i think once you unlock it the rewards are so much more than the terrifying parts that may still exist because you can see the positive things to come out of public speaking as a platform yeah and and that's i think one of the things that is so important to to all of us really is encouraging people to have a go and hopefully by sort of hearing your story Melissa and and other stories about kind of someone who's found it challenging and you know publicly looking at your career where you are where you've spoken people wouldn't I'm sure wouldn't believe that you had ever found public speaking challenging but hearing your story (laughs) you know hopefully that inspires other people because I, I hope um, that's how I come across. <laughs> so I, just, I hope that's how I come across. Like, oh, absolutely. <laughs> I was listening to you being interviewed on a podcast and I was just, honestly, you are an amazing public speaker. So engaging, so much fun. And I, you know, this is a podcast, but Melissa's shaking her head. Um, because, because, yeah, I'm sure in some ways you still don't believe it, but. I'm no. talking about you. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And I was like, I get the invite to come and, and to talk to you both. And I was like, oh, this is fantastic. Like it's, you know, your knowledge and chatting to you. I love chatting to you. But yeah, I was, I was super chuffed that you wanted me on. And I do, look, I genuinely do credit Project Framer with a lot of my confidence. And I think what I've also realized the, the further I get through my career is it really doesn't matter whether it's whether it is the standing up and presenting formally or whether it is just finding that voice to be able to say in a meeting room, I'm sorry, or like, I don't agree with that position, or I think we should do this, or, you know, it's so important to be able to feel that you can do that. And that's where I found that public speaking just so important because it does give you not only the formal confidence, but the informal confidence as well. And even to do these podcasts. <laughs> exactly. No, I definitely think, you know, it helps in that work environment, especially in meetings, just to try and be succinct. I'm a waffler from way back. And if I can, you know, <laughs> if I can learn the skills to get to the point really quickly, I feel like my effect in a meeting is is so much more impactful. So yeah, it's definitely a, something that is helping me from a work environment as well. Yeah. Cause do you find too, sometimes now when you're in meetings, you'll be sitting there and you will be thinking about, well, hang on, what is the message I want to get across? What is the audience that's in front exactly. of me and how best do I pitch that in order to actually get that message across? Yeah. I've, I've done a lot of that actually just using some of the frameworks that we've got. I'll be sitting in meetings and I'll be like, okay, this is Here's what I think I need to get across. How am I going to pitch that to the audience? What do I want them to walk away yeah. with? And it is sometimes the the language and sometimes the the way that you present it. Exactly. Couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> Definitely agree <laughs> with that. And uh, yeah, I think everybody's had something in their language to work on, you know, LP I don't think you're a waffler, but I know it's something that you wanted <laughs> wanted to work on and when we did our NIDA course, they really picked that apart and tried to kind of help us hone that. And I know personally, 
I am the just one of the worst. Um, <laughs> I just did it using the word um. It drives me crackers when I realize how much I do it. And it's one of those things I've had to consciously stop and also learn to pause. Just say nothing rather than um. And the power that that has in the sentence that you speak when you take those hesitation words out is incredible. And it's something yeah. that is, again, we were talking about it earlier, how you have to keep honing these skills and working on these skills. And that's definitely one of the ones that I'm constantly working on uh, for sure. And mine is also slowing down. It, it actually is a good thing to slow down because you actually – uh, it, it gives you almost a chance to think ahead as you go. And I, I can see Melissa laughing because I, <laughs> I, I suspect this was one of your pet peeves when you were honing up your skills as well. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that I've had to really learn is to slow down my language because, again, that anxiety leads to me. I will talk a million miles an hour because I want to get through this and I've got so many things I need to tell you and I've got this whole thing I need to get through and I've only got an hour and oh my goodness, there's so many things that we need to cover here and oh, oh no, that's right. I just need to speak at a normal human pace, <laughs> you know, cover what yeah. material I can and slow it down and and really, you always get that little ticking metronome in your head where you kind of like just keep keep kind of a pace, don't go too fast, don't go too slow, but enough to be interesting but you don't want to put people to sleep, but you also don't want to sound – because I think the problem with that rushing makes you sound like you don't know what you're talking about. And it is, and it's just that I get I get quite excitable when I'm talking about things that I love. So <laughs> I do the power of taking a breath and pausing, trying not to use those um words. And I also have a bad habit of swearing in public, so I've had to try and like, <laughs> that one out. <laughs> <laughs> particularly when you are trying to give those virtual conferences and a cat goes one way and the laptop isn't working and it's like, oh, yes, this is all perfectly fine. <laughs> and you can still laugh about it. That's what's great. <laughs> I was going to ask you, uh, Melissa, and I just said er, uh, just as we were talking about my use of um and er, uh, have you done any, like, so you've done your the Project Friedman training, and you've continued to speak since then. And I think you did Black Hat. Am I right in saying you did a Black Hat presentation? Yeah, I got How did that for, go? Oh, well, I got so to give a little, a little bit of a backstory to that. I actually, so when I was in this frame of mind where I'm like, this is, I really want to get into cybersecurity. I love this. And there's a, a wonderful woman in the UK, Jane Franklin, who was offering these scholarships for Black Hat twenty Black Hat Asia twenty nineteen. And again, I put, I've been so blessed by by this industry and by all these amazing women. And so I put in an application, and again, not thinking I would get it. Next thing you know, I've like trying to frantically book tickets to Singapore and arrange a <laughs> arrange a week off work, and because I was lucky enough to get a scholarship to Black Hat Asia in twenty nineteen. It was fantastic. And because it was all a group of women there had been, who won this scholarship from insecurity, we all kind of tied up. We all got to chatting and we all sort of, you know, and I was telling them what we do. And, and they were saying the same thing to me, like, you need to stand up and talk. These people need to hear what you have to say. And I was like, you've got to be joking. Like, don't be ridiculous. You know, yeah. the usual flip, don't be ridiculous. Flip the hand away. Nope, 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 nope. And quite a few people kept saying, you know, you need to, we, we need this different voice. We need a different perspective on it. And then lucky enough to get involved in Project Friedman and you guys gave me an amazing amount of confidence. And so when when Black Hat Asia call for papers opened up at the end of uh, 
2019, 2020's just thrown mm-hmm. me for, I thought yeah. I've got, I've got a great idea for a talk around biometric data and privacy because, and at that point, this was pre COVID, but my idea was that, you know, we're seeing a lot more technology that uses fingerprints, facial recognition, and how does that actually interplay with the whole concept of privacy, particularly also coming out of the new GDPR and EU privacy regulations. Sorry, drop the acronyms. Yeah. So I got selected for Black Hat Asia and thinking I was flying off to Singapore to present in person and I had drafted my whole speech as an in-person presentation only then to so Black Hat Asia is usually in end of March we all Mm. know what happened in March 2020 so a whole in-person presentation then had to be pivoted to a so it got flips from March to September end of September beginning of October which for one also made it slightly awful for me because India decided to release some new privacy laws so I had to I had to I had to rewrite my speech so many times during that six months because the countries I was talking oh, wow. about, yeah, <laughs> India, China, Singapore, all kept bringing out new legislation, and I had to go from you know a world I was pretty confident in that standing up on stage, and I knew it would be a small ballroom because I'd been to Black Hat Asia in 2019. I knew there'd be people around me that I knew, instead of to a virtual thing where I had to record it at home two or three weeks before, so I had to get a proper setup. I had to get lighting and microphones and I had to learn how to screen capture software that's not even you know what I mean you had so I had to have two laptops running one that recorded me one that recorded my slides and it was I have to say I I found that so so challenging I felt like this complete Mm. numpty (laughs) because I'm just, it's like I'm presenting at a technology conference and they're like, do you have a ring light? I'm like, do I have a wah-wah now? <laughs> <You know? laughs> what You're am I? not an influencer on social media without a ring light. I was about to say, I'm not an influencer. I'm not on OnlyFans. Like I don't, I'm not on TikTok. Like, so it was a real, it was a real learning curve to try and work out not only the technology, but also to figure out that tempo and how to speak to a, to a pre-recorded talk then you dialed in on the day and they played your pre-recorded talk but then you were there to answer questions live so it was quite um it was quite an involved complicated sort of thing for me and I I felt it a little bit overwhelming at times that I'm like why why did I think this was a good idea um you know (laughs) secretly cursing the two LPs and Emily but um (laughs) (laughs) but then but it was good because I think after that None of my other online presentations have been anywhere near as hard. Yeah. And I think now I'd be like, you know what? Fine. Not a problem. I can do that for you. I've got it under control, but that first one was a bit, a bit tough. So I've been doing, did Black Hat conference and I've been doing a lot of talking for my, my job now as well. So, but the talking to the screen is hard. I do find it hard because you're right, LP, you just don't know whether people are involved or are not involved. I've started to say on some of my virtual ones, please put comments in. Like if you think I'm going down, I actually did say it once, I was like, I've gone down a rabbit hole, haven't I? Have I gone down a rabbit hole? <laughs> and I get these little like pop-ups going, yes, yes. you have, but we like it. Keep going. <laughs> I'm like, okay. But so it's it's just, it's trying to find another way to interact, I think, with the audience to get some some feedback um, as well. But yeah. that was... Yeah, Blackout Asia 2020 didn't get the trip to Singapore. <laughs> oh, well, but it's so awesome to hear how you've adapted. Like that clearly wasn't easy and there was a lot of steps involved to to get your talk to be that, you know, recorded version instead. But sounds like you embraced it and knowing you, you would have smashed it and done an amazing job. And now you've ticked that off. You're now saying, yep, I could do that again. So I guess... 
it's, you know, it kind of sounds like you, you keep doing it. You keep adding more things to the repertoire, I guess. And, and being able to say yes to every, a different opportunity by the sounds of things. Absolutely. That is absolutely, I think, 100% what, particularly what Project Friedman has given is just that confidence to say, okay, yes, and I'll figure it out as I go through. And even if I don't feel like I've, you know, I don't feel like I've quite got it all together. No one ever knows that I don't feel like I've gotten it all together. (laughs) I've also, I think I've also learned, I don't know how you guys feel about this, but I've also learned just to kind of embrace the, almost that sense of fear of failure. It's like, look, I'll get up there and do it. And what's the worst thing that can happen? Like there are a group of people who, who would, yeah, there are a group of people who wouldn't, you know, there are a lot of people who aren't doing this. So if nothing else, I've tried it. And if the worst thing someone says to me about that is like, what were you thinking? You know, so be it. Like, It's a learning opportunity. (laughs) (laughs) Just showing up is half the battle, isn't it? It really is. Yeah. And I'd love to know if there's anything else on your list, like, because you've achieved so much, but from a public speaking perspective, what's, what's next for Mm. Melissa? Oh, I, well, I'm still very keen to do some more conferences as well, just to again, get that, to get the volume, like the, you know, the sheer scale of people. I think I also like, I would love to know how to do podcasts better. <laughs> I know we've just sat here talking on a podcast the whole time, but I mean, I'm a podcast lover. I listen to a lot of podcasts and I'm always eminently impressed by people, you know, on the podcast I listen to is just how effortless their interviewing is or their question, you know, the questioning is like, I love the curiosity about it all. So gosh, there are so many things to do. So many things I would love to do. Well, you've given us a bit of an idea for future Project Freemans. Maybe we need a podcast kind of stream because it's definitely a way of the future. That would be, I think that would be useful because it's a little bit like you think it's public speaking, but it's not quite public speaking. And I, I've done a couple of podcasts and I think one I was really confident in and another one I really struggled quite a lot with the other speakers to get my voice heard. And I'm forever mm. kicking myself for, for that. And I think sometimes too, you want to make a point, but you don't want to do it in a rude way. If there's other, if there's other speakers as, or not, not rude, but you know what I mean? Like you, you want to try to say something that's in disagreement, but you need to figure out the language to say it in a sensible, smart, smart yeah. way. And particularly on podcasts, I do find that can be a little bit challenging. I think it's like talking to the media. It's another real skill that we all need to learn. Definitely agree with that. And I think LP and I have some ideas and plans to support women in cybersecurity that want to take those steps into being media ready. So as well as conference ready, you know, future ideas we have and hopefully as we get more sponsors on board in the future is is supporting programs that will help women in cyber have the confidence to talk to the media, you know, because it is, you're right, it's a different skill and it's an important skill too. And it would be amazing if we saw even more women interviewed, you know, in the media when when things are happening. I think that would be very cool. And there's some great women out there in, in Australia doing that already, actually. We have some really great role models doing media interviews, but yeah, definitely could add more to the mix. 
I would say that I think the appetite is there. We had around 30 applications the first time we advertised for Project Friedman and we took 10. We've just closed our latest round of applications and we had 58 applicants. So, and I would say there's probably four or five that reached out post the applications closing, sadly. So there's absolutely the appetite. What Louisa and I are trying to do now is work out how can we help everyone. We're taking 20 through this next round and our first round of Project Freeman, yourself included, Melissa, are going to be really key to helping them succeed and have those role models. But yeah, there's so many more exciting things that we want to do. It's just time and money, isn't it, LV? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) It really is the sky's the limit. I think when you're saying, you know, what are the next things? I'm like, there are so many things that we want to do that we can do that that it doesn't matter what we try, it will all be successful. But you're right, it's just <laughs> time, energy. Yeah, and we're just grateful to our sponsors, ASD and Amy Roberts, for kind of understanding our vision, supporting our vision and really helping us get there and, and trusting what we're doing. And and to the women who kind of put their confidence in our hands, we're so grateful that they're, they're trusting us with that. So we can't wait to kick off the next round. This podcast has been made possible thanks to sponsorship from the Australian Signals Directorate. For updates on Women Speak Cyber and our initiatives to help elevate, grow and retain women speakers in cybersecurity, follow us on Twitter at Women Speak Cyber or find us on LinkedIn.